I'm Fallon. This is the Heartbroken Podcast. Last week's episode was just so intense to find out someone was shot 16 times and lived. And honestly, it sounds like he's making huge progress. So it's it's really phenomenal. I really want to thank uh, my guest last week for sharing her story. If you missed it, you can go back and listen to that episode. And uh, this week has been, a, a, today I'm actually off of regular work. My husband and I are taking a trip and we're going to Charleston, South Carolina, which I've been before, but he hasn't. So I'm really looking forward to that. They say, have things to look forward to. And I think that that's a good tip for this podcast too. If you're going through heartbreak, put something on your schedule that you have to actually look forward to. And trust me when I say I've been in that spot where the last thing you want to do is go out and pretend to laugh and pretend to have a good time. But it doesn't have to be something like that. Um, I think like one of the best things I did for myself, and I think I've talked about it before, but it's been a while. I went on a short solo trip and man, it was weird and it was hard. But I'm really so thankful I did that. I went to Austin for mine. I went to like this little um, spa area and did they had like a bunch of options where you could do yoga or paddleboarding, all these things. And I went and did like a hike and different things. And it was challenging forcing myself to be alone and go do that stuff. And then I went into the actual city of Austin and stayed there. I spent time crying in my hotel room watching Twilight because it was just a marathon was on. And also because even though it's terrible, I love it. Uh, walking around, sweating profusely because it's Texas. Um, eating delicious food, um, going to bed super early like I like to. It was just a good move for me, and I'm so thankful I did that. But we're doing this trip, and I'm looking forward to it, uh, eating a bunch of bad food, and and by bad, I mean amazing food, and enjoying that. So I would suggest throw something on the calendar to look forward to. This is my first time I've taken a day off this entire year other than one sick day I had. So... I think I need it. I think we all need those days, uh, those mental health days. So I am talking to Crystal today. I actually know Crystal, not super, super like we hang out well, but Crystal's been in my book club before. And um, so I've, I knew Crystal before this happened with her husband. But one of the things that really stuck out in her email to me was her mentioning a sense of relief. And I think a lot of the time when you have someone going through a lot, um, especially if they pass away, you would never feel comfortable sharing that emotion, even if you feel it. So I thought it was so strong and, and really stuck out to me. And I'm so thankful she was willing to share that aspect of it too. But there's so much more to the story uh, that I'll let Crystal share with you now. Crystal joins me today on the Heartbroken Podcast. Crystal, can you give us a little summary of what we're going to hear today in your episode? Sure. So in 2016, my husband passed away. Um, I'll give you a little story of how we met and the uh, story up to and leading to his death. I'm Fallon, and this is the Heartbroken Podcast. Everyone has experienced heartbreak in their life, some more than others. Often, we feel like we're bothering our family or friends when we talk about it. I started this podcast to help those going through heartbreak share their stories. Sometimes it's easier to share with someone they don't know. I hope it's somewhat therapeutic for them. Maybe it gives them some closure. And to those listening, I hope it helps you feel less alone. Thank you for listening to the Heartbroken Podcast. Okay, Crystal. Well, first of all, I'm so sorry. Thank Um, you. 
I know it's been a few years, but as I've uh, discovered and heard, the grieving process never truly stops in our life. It never does. It never does. So let's go back and tell me a little bit about uh, you and your husband and how you met and like maybe what year this was. Sure. So we met in 2005. It was my senior year of college at Hamlin Law School. And we actually met, or I'm sorry, at Hamlin University. Um, And we actually met online Um, before the online dating scene really got um, as big as it is now. um, I was online. I just wasn't meeting anyone in college. And so we met on match.com. We talked on the phone that first night, um, you know, being safe, like all women should until like two or three in the morning. And I remember hanging up the phone at like that two in the morning and saying, I'm going to marry that man. I did. Um, I did not realize how our paths would take us. Um, but we originally had planned, we, so we dated, I started law school, um, at William Mitchell, um, that fall, fall of 2005, we dated all through law school. We had originally planned to get married, um, in 2008, Unfortunately, the world sort of crumbled (laughs) around that year. Yep. And so we pushed out our wedding um, to early 2009. Um, It was actually in 2007 um, when things uh, started to change a little bit with Nick's health. Um, I was in my second year of law school. And I remember because I I would bring my law school textbooks to the hospital um, and the doctors would comment on on my studying while I was waiting. Um, Nick started to develop some stomach issues. At first we thought, you know, it's a minor thing. It would be a a gallbladder uh, removal and things would go back to normal. Or, you know, he had to have this this, uh, uh, duct cleaning um, (laughs) of his stomach and things would go back to normal. It never really did. Um, We always thought it would. We always had the expectation that, you know, he had his gallbladder removed in 2007 when we were living in Stillwater. Um, And we thought, okay, that was great. you know, things will go back to normal. But then he always had this constant stomach pain and things uh, would progressively get worse and he would end up in the hospital. I think those early years, 2007 to maybe 2011, I don't know, honestly, I don't remember, um, but it wasn't as constant. Um, It was more, um, you know, have this flare up, go into the hospital. Uh, be good for a few months. Okay. Have so this flare. A few months, it would be fine. And exactly. you, would think, you would think maybe it was working? Exactly. Exactly. Like whatever the doctor did or whatever treatment he got, um, it was working. Um, but it progressively got worse. Um, and the way they managed it was to give him pain pills, to give him opioids. Mm. Um, and it started out pretty minimal, just, you know, take Vicodin or take Percocet, um, you know, when, when he needed to, as we all know now, though, uh, those pain pills are very addicting. Oh yeah. However, throughout the whole time, um, Nick never admitted that he had an addiction to pain pills. He would, we would argue about this, especially later in, as the years went on, that he had a dependency. He needed those drugs to have a full life, um, and we did not have a full life by any stretch of the imagination. Um, he didn't, he wasn't addicted to them. I think, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. Um, but I think looking back, he definitely had an addiction. Um, and like I sort of alluded to, um, first it was just a 
pain pill here and there, and then it escalated. Um, by 2013 or 14, I would say, um, we were going to different doctors because he would do the typical doctor shopping. This doctor would be uncomfortable with um, prescribing the medication. That doctor would start to get uncomfortable with prescribing how much medication. And just the more and more he needed to be comfortable, um, the doctors would get more and more uncomfortable with prescribing that. Um, and he went to different doctors around the metro um, trying to find a doctor that was willing to do it. And they would be comfortable with it for a while. And they made him sign contracts um, for obtaining these opioids, but something would set him off and he would get more. Um, and then the doctors would continuously be uncomfortable. What was the, because you said you were realizing he had a problem in these later years, like 2013, when it's, you know, getting that intense where you're shopping around that many doctors, um, had they given up? Like, we're just not going to identify what's going on with you. This is the solution. Um, no, he was still seeing, um, his GI specialist at the U and they were trying to get, um, some, uh, diagnosis, but it, it, it wasn't very like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It wasn't um, very aggressive. Um, the doctor would come in and say, you know, maybe it's this, maybe it's that, but you know, Nick was, um, a little overweight. We both struggled with our weight a little bit. Um, and they would say, you know, eat better and lose some weight. Should he have done that? Absolutely. Um, and he never really did. He never really took that under consideration. He's like, I think it's something more, you know, and he would have this certain procedure that was done, um, an ERCP that would provide him some relief. Hmm. Um, uh, upon the autopsy, uh, we found that there was some serious issues. Um, but I, I think it would have taken some more time and some more tests for them to see it. And I think by the time he passed away in 2016, they were so focused on the opioid uh, addiction that they weren't really focusing on the stomach stuff. Yeah. What was he like day to day when he got to this point of needing more and more medication? Was he working? Uh, he was working, but it wasn't very stable. So I should go back and and describe Nick, um, like how he was before all of this. Yeah. He was the most outgoing, you know, give generous person you could imagine. He liked to steal the limelight, sometimes to the ex extreme where I was embarrassed. <laughs> um, and he was really funny and, you know, just really talkative, you know, could talk to anyone. All my friends always commented that Nick could talk to anyone, anytime, anywhere, doesn't matter where he is. And, and that was so true. As the years went on and the opioid addiction sort of took over, um, that really changed. Um, like I said, he was working and he really prided himself um, on the jobs that he had. And then it, that sort of changed. Um, he had a really stressful situation um, at one of his employers. He loved his job, but his immediate supervisor was so difficult. Um, and that's where I finally learned that you don't really work for the company, you work for your immediate supervisor. 
Mm-hmm. And the depression started to set in. Um, I was at work um, at the time across uh, the metro, and I couldn't really check in on him. But when I did, I found he wasn't at work. Um, he was laying in bed sleeping. And at the time, I, I will fully admit, I was angry. I was livid. I had student loans to pay back from law school. I had a mortgage. You know, I needed his income. I couldn't do it all on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just livid that he wasn't at work. And I probably didn't pay enough attention um, to what was really going on at work, to, you know, the fact that he was really depressed. Um, and he was struggling with this. Um, eventually in 2014, they fired him. Um, and I think that's when things got really bad. I mean, he, by this time, he was really addicted to opioids. Um, and he was taking a lot. He was taking the fentanyl patch that Prince um, had um, and a really high dose of that. Um, on top of that, he would take pills. Um, for some of the breakthrough pain, but I think he was taking it pretty constantly. I will say he was pretty um, cautious about what he took. He knew not to take, you know, uh, X pill with X, with Y pill. I, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know all right. of the <laughs> interactions. Um, so he was pretty cautious, and that's important in a second. Um, but he would also take benzodiazepines, um, which are like anti-anxiety medication and the two combined, you're not supposed to do. Okay. Um, and so that, that was an issue. Um, and then he started going to the ER pretty much every other day. Um, and we got to know those doctors in the various ERs in the East Metro where we lived, um, pretty well. Was he going Um, in for pain? Yeah. Yeah. He would always go in complaining of his stomach pain. And like I said, it literally was every other day. Um, he just couldn't get this under control. And doctors would treat him. At, at that time, they really took the the approach of treat him and street him. Um, and he would stay overnight once in a while. They would run some tests. They would see that this liver enzyme was off or that blood count was off a little bit, but nothing really definitive. Um, he did find another job in 2015, um, but because of all the absences and um, the hospital visits, they quickly let him go from that one too. Mm. So not only was our like professional and financial life really taking a hit, but he just he wasn't the same either. You know, he would lay on the couch a lot. He he didn't really go out. Um, our friends would be like, where's Nick? And, you know, I'd make one excuse after another um, for saying why he wasn't with me. Um, so that that was really hard. What was, I was going to ask you, Crystal, what was this time like for you? Because obviously he's in a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. He's obviously suffering addiction, which is something like as someone, uh, I, I don't know your past, but um, I'm gathering you haven't had addiction issues. Um, no. I, it's hard to get into that mindset of someone who has an addiction um, because we just have never experienced something like it. So he was going through so much, but you were too. Maybe it wasn't physical pain, but what was that time like in your life? Yeah. You know, I was a recent graduate from law school. I was just trying to get my career underfoot and trying to find a really uh, good spot. 
and it was hard. <laughs> it was hard. I would have to take time off work for appointments. Um, and I was angry. I was just livid at, at everything going on. I, I, to be honest, I didn't like who I was. I gained like 50 pounds. I think I found a lot of comfort in food and um, going out to dinner, which is something to be fair, I still love to do. Um, but yeah. to get away with it, um, I took it away from everything. I would go out to dinner with my friends. Um, I was drinking, I, to be perfectly clear, I was not drinking to a problem. I would not, you know, one of us had to be secure, but I think I packed on the pounds because um, I would go out drinking with my friends to sort of have some fun. And, you know, one thing Nick said to me one time that still stays with me, he's like, when we're out with our friends, you pretend that everything's perfect and great and you have no problems. And I'm like, because I have to, because I want to, you know, because I just want to be a normal, you know, 20 something year old. Yeah. Um, as, as it got a little later in 2015, 2016, I also, my biological clock was ticking. Um, I wanted to have kids. And um, we were trying, it wasn't successful. I was um, having some issues. And so I myself was going into the doctor um, and trying to figure out what was going on there. But to get him, you know, takes two to have a child, <laughs> um, to get him to do anything, uh, to put a focus on that, uh, he just, he couldn't do. Um, and it, it sort of dawned on me as we were going through this process that I need to really want this because all of the work is going to be on me for raising a kid. And that scared me. That scared me. Did it cross your mind? And I know that this people like, Oh, that's awful. Did it cross your mind to end the relationship? Funny you ask. So um, I'll sort of walk into the story of how he passed away because the weekend before he died, we were going down to Rochester to visit some of my friends from college. And on the way down there, I told them I wanted a divorce, that this wasn't working Mm -hmm. for me, um, that I was just hating my life. And um, this, this wasn't great. And to be frank, I threatened that before. Mm -hmm. Um, But he knew that this had changed, that the way I phrased it, the way I said, I don't want to do this anymore. I, uh, the week before I had Googled, you know, should I get a divorce? (laughs) When you're Googling something like that, you know, you're kind of at um, your wits end. Um, I printed off the, we didn't have kids. um, So I knew from my legal background, it would be a pretty um, easy divorce, hopefully. So I had printed off the divorce separation from the Minnesota courts website. And yeah, told him and he, you know, we pulled over on the side of the highway going down to that, going down to Rochester. And he's like, please give me until the start of the year to get things under control. Um, Also at that time, his doctor had sort of done an intervention with him and said, look, you need help. Uh, You are addicted to opioids. You need treatment. And they were pushing for Hazelden as an inpatient. Mm -hmm. I should have supported that a little bit more. Um, I was worried about the impact to my financial life. I was uh, worried about um, his job. He had had gotten another new job um, and I was worried what it would look like if he took another, you know, six weeks off. And I also said, you know, I remember sitting at the dinner table um, and a 60 minutes uh, segment came on about opioid addiction and how it so turned into heroin addiction. And I remember sitting sitting at the table with him saying, you are not a 
addicted to heroin. I, I am so glad you are not addicted to heroin, but I don't see why you need Hazelden. You know, maybe you could do some outpatient therapy or, or take a little time off of work for an intensive outpatient therapy. Um, but I don't think you need, um, I don't think you need Hazelden. Um, but still, even knowing that, I still was ready to divorce him. It was just getting too hard. I didn't like who I was. I didn't like how angry I was. I didn't like how I was yelling all, all the time. I just wanted to be, you know, a normal 20-something-year-old, even if that meant I had to forego my dream uh, of, of having kids with him. Well, the- I also imagine, so he, during that time when you guys would have arguments and you would be like, I don't want to live like this, on the other times when you've threatened it or gotten into fights, mm-hmm. what would he say then? Like that he would change? Did he ever acknowledge, okay, I do have a problem, I'll get help? Or was he still sticking to the, like, I don't have a problem, like, we're working on this or what was his out his response in those arguments you know he would always say the next doctor's visit you know we'll figure that out or you know we'll see what happens with this doctor's visit he would always you know hang it on the the next doctor to visit and no to answer your question directly he never admitted that he had a problem he always until the day he died he said he was dependent on it um he wasn't addicted to them mm-hmm. and he he did go uh the he so he died on Halloween of um, 2016. He um, he did go cold turkey um, for a couple of weeks there and said, okay, you know, I will figure this out. Um, I need them to to feel better, but I understand that people are pushing me, um, and I was pushing him definitely at that point um, to to stop taking him or to wean off. And he did go cold turkey. Um, he only lasted a couple of weeks for that. Um, and it, it it didn't obviously last. But yeah, he never really admitted until the end that he had a problem. And you mentioned that he knew like what he could mix with each other and what he shouldn't be and that that would come into play later. So the week before this happened, you told him that you wanted a divorce. Mm-hmm. What was that final week like together with you two? Um, you know, it was relatively normal. I did tell him I wanted a divorce, but we sort of made a compromise. He's like, let's see how I am by the first of the year. Please just give me that. You know, he was really upset. Um, but we came home from that Rochester trip, um, visiting my friends and he went to the ER, um, to get drugs because he just, he couldn't stand it. Um, I, at this point I wasn't going with him anymore. Um, I would drop him off and then I would pick him up when he, when he needed to, to be picked up. Uh, I just wasn't wasting my time sitting in the waiting rooms anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got home from that Rochester trip and he went to the ER. His uh, levels were elevated enough that they decided, oh, you know, this, this might require an overnight to the hospital. So they took him by ambulance to the hospital and I was like, here we go again. Um, they took him to um, a hospital downtown St. Paul, um, and I ran over there with some stuff. But again, I didn't really stay with him um, very long. I was just so tired of it. I was so tired of being consumed by hospital visits and doctor visits and uh, you know, staying overnight in hospitals. So I would drop off some clothes you know, and say, they'll probably release you tomorrow, so I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah. And 
yeah, they did. Um, the doctors would run some tests. Um, that was the Sunday before Halloween. Uh, the doctors ran some tests. Um, they gave him some pain pills. Um, also that Saturday night though, um, he did stop breathing um, that in the hospital and they had to give him Narcan. Mm. Um, I picked him up on Sunday um, afternoon and he was a loopy. I mean, he was the loopiest I've ever seen him. He could barely walk out of the hospital. And I think at this point, doctors and nurses around the Metro were probably um, wise to what he was doing and needed him to stop because they were a little cold. Um, this also was a new hospital uh, to us. We hadn't been there, but you know, they didn't offer a wheelchair. They didn't say, they didn't tell me when I picked them up that um, they had to give them Narcan. I didn't find out about that until we got home. Mm. Um, and that, that scared me. Um, so we got home that, that Sunday, he went right up to bed. Um, I watched TV and went up to bed. Um, and then I woke up in the middle of the night and this is gross. I'm sorry, but, um, there was a pile of like snot on the pillow and my finger was in it. And Mm. I was like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. Um, this was definitely something new. Um, so I tried to stay up the rest of the night, um, just to make sure he was breathing and, and things were okay. Uh, I must've fallen asleep because my alarm went off. It was Monday morning and I needed to go to work. Um, sometimes I would be able to work from home, but that particular Monday I didn't have my laptop. And I remember sitting in the car that Monday morning and being like, oh, maybe I should, you know, just go grab my laptop and then, and work from home. And he was awake. Um, when I left for work, he was um, talkative. And he's like, you know, I'm just really tired. I'm going to call in sick, of course, to work. Um, and I'm not feeling so great. So I'll take some of the pain pills that they gave me. So he hadn't been cold turkey anymore. Um, and I'll uh, just go back to bed. Um, I was at work for a couple hours and I was texting him and calling him um, and there was no answer. Um, and so I, I got a little nervous. I had to take him to a doctor's appointment that we'd previously scheduled anyway um, over the lunch hour. So I told my coworkers, I was like, I'm leaving. Um, I'll be back in a couple hours to take, I just have to take Nick to a doctor's appointment. And at this point, um, my coworkers kind of knew what was going on. I was at a new place um, from when I was before, but mm-hmm. everyone was pretty understanding um, and, and they understood what was going on. So I came home to take him to the doctor's appointment and um, he was still in bed sleeping, except he wasn't sleeping. Um, I thought he was, and I called 911. Um, and I, I think looking back on it, the um, EMTs uh, knew he was gone um, by the way they sort of reacted to me and um, seeing the expression on their face. Um, but I, I, they hadn't told me that yet. Um, and I thought, okay, maybe he just went into a coma and I can deal with that. Or, you know, maybe there's, there's something else going on, you know, whatever it is, I can deal with it, but never in a million years did I think he would pass away in our bed. Uh, so yeah, uh, he passed away on Halloween of 2016. His birthday was Christmas day. So like the irony of those days is just weird to me, like born on Christmas night on Halloween. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the rest of that sort of time is 
kind of a blur. I was not, I never got pregnant. So I, I didn't have a kid or anything to deal with. Um, but life changed in a not in an instant. Um, my family came in, sorry, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, what do you mean by that? Just like, because, um, I mean, describe what you mean by it changed in an instant. I mean, it, it went from, you know, literally that the week before I'd gone in for some tests to figure out why I wasn't getting pregnant. So we literally went from trying to plan for a family to now all of a sudden I'm a 34 year old widow. Um, and I had just turned 34 uh, a couple days before he passed away. Um, and what was I going to do now? Like we had planned for X life. Now I have to figure things out. Um, and it, it, it was hard as anyone I'm sure has lost anyone that they love, you know, remembering those few days after someone's dying, after someone passed away. Um, it's just, you, you don't know what to do with yourself. Um, and I didn't know what to do with myself. Um, thankfully I have a really great support system. I had tons of friends. Um, my parents, um, lived in green Bay that, well, they, my mom passed away a couple of years ago, but my dad still lives in green Bay. They came for a couple of weeks. Um, and then Thanksgiving was shortly thereafter. So they came for that. Um, my best friend, Rachel was, was by my side through the whole thing. You know, she invited me over to her Thanksgiving. Um, and I went to hers and one of her family members asked, why are you here? And, you know, being me, I said, I'm here because my husband died and I didn't want to spend Thanksgiving with my parents. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, something that's really interesting in the widow community that I've learned is that we love being team awkward. Um, (laughs) and we love bringing it up (laughs) in sort of these like awkward situations. Yeah. But I feel like you, you, I think you, I imagine you get to a point where you're like, you kind of just have to like make jokes about it or laugh about it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I remember being in the grocery store and someone's like, that's not a lot of food for your family. I'm like, oh, well, it's just me. So my husband died. (laughs) I don't know what made that person say that in the grocery store. Weird statement. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's an assumption. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so. Um, one of the things I started doing was working out, um, shout out lifetime. Um, it was right down the street from, uh, we had now moved to Woodbury. Um, and it was right down the street from my house. And, um, I decided, you know, I'm an extrovert. I need to be around people. So I started working out and trying to lose some of that weight that I had put on, um, when I was, when I was with Nick, um, it was, it was really hard for me to come home to an empty house, um, just me and my dog. And at the time I had a couple cats um, and I, just, I couldn't stand the quietness of the house. You can only watch so much TV, you know, you cook dinner and then it's just like, okay, what do I do the rest of the night? Um, so I started going to the lifetime and um, I got a personal trainer and um, started doing that. Um, And then in the spring of 17, I felt like, you know, maybe I should join some support groups or or figure out what this looks like. I was seeing a therapist too. Um, Actually, I started seeing a therapist 
to be perfectly frank, right before Nick died, because I was struggling so much with all of my emotions. Yeah. In fact, I think we had like two or three sessions before he died. And then I, I had to call her and be like, yeah, he died. <laughs> what now? Yeah. Now what? Yeah. What's yeah. pivot a little bit here? Yep. Yep. Um, so, you know, I started, like I said, going to Lifetime and then just kind of hanging out with friends, um, you know, but uh, like I said earlier, when you and I were talking about this is there was a lot of relief um, now that I didn't have to deal with this. Yes, I was alone. Um, yes, it was it was hard um, to let go of what I thought my life would be like, but there was so much relief and so much uh, I could exhale like I'm doing right now. Like I didn't have to revolve my life around doctor's visits and, and, you know, hospital visits and dealing with getting this prescription or being on vacation, which is what happened once and realizing he was out of one of his drugs and trying to track that down. I mean, it, it, it just kind of ruins your vacation, mm-hmm. you know, uh, money had become such a problem with all these doctor visits and, and hospital bills that I was like, I can just rely on me. Um, I can support myself. Thankfully, I was still working. Um, Minnesota really needs more um, grief bereavement time. Um, I took, you know, only a week off because I had, you know, some time for bereavement, but then I had to take PTO and I would run out of that. Mm -hmm. And I know some people don't even get that. It's it's really not fair. but there was so much relief in that I could just stop doing all of that. Of course, there was grief. Of course, you know, I cried myself to sleep more times than than I care to admit. You know, I would call my dad, you know, just bawling and saying, you know, we were going to have this this life and now it's completely changed. But underneath all of that or on top of all of that was this immense uh, relief that I didn't have to deal with his problems anymore. Um, and that I could sort of go back to being, you know, a normal 30 something at this point. Um, I was also very angry too, that I had to start all over. I, I didn't know what the kid thing would look like for me because I was having some, you know, biological issues, but now I have to be 30 something and dating. Oh God. Uh, Like I, there's the uh, match.com isn't even half of it now. Right, right. So I was back on Tinder. I was back on Bumble. Um, and, you know, I, thankfully, also in the spring of 17, I found these support groups and um, on both online as well as um, in person. And we would meet up in person. And I met some really great people who I am still friends with now. And I look back and I think, you know, how could I have not been friends with these people my whole life? Like you have this shared experience and it brings you uh, close really quickly. Um, Sorry for my dog in the background. Uh, And it it brings you uh, close really quickly, but then you start to develop a friendship on top of that. And, you know, what else is going on in our life? And of course, dating was a big part of that. And there are lots of stories and, you know, texting late at night. Oh, I just got back from a date. It went really well. Um, and in case anyone's wondering, yes, I did meet someone um, and we do live together. Um, and we've been together about three years now. So yeah. I was yeah. going to ask you, um, what, do you mind sharing the support groups? Like if people wanted to find one? Yeah. So um I, on Facebook, run uh, Widows of the Twin Cities. 
Okay. Um, so it's just um, us from the Twin Cities. And then there's a couple larger groups that I'm part of. They now have like membership rules, but if anyone's interested in those online support groups, um, definitely feel free, you know, Fallon to put out my contact information and I can get you in touch with those online support groups. Um, and then there's one where my friend is on the board, um, Brighter Days Grief Center, which is a little broader, not just for widows, but for anyone uh, grieving. Um, that's a really great support area. And then um, Park Nicolet, um, has a really good one too that I went to a couple times. Um, I only went a couple times just because it was so far away from my house in the East Metro. Um, but they have one. I think it still meets um, every Thursday. Um, the first, I'm sorry, the first Thursday of every month, I think. Okay. Um, but there are some really great ones. But I found the best support system um, online um, and through Facebook. Um, and there was a larger Facebook group, and then it morphed into this smaller one. Um, and I know there are others out there. Um, and if anyone wanted to become part of that, we would welcome you in because I, it was so, we were all sort of oddly, sort of at the same time frame, you know, a year or two years out. And now as, as all of us, and there's probably 200 of us in this um, mm -hmm. bigger group, um, I think there's about um, 50 to 100 in the widows um, of the Twin Cities group. I haven't checked recently, but there are more of us than than you think. Yeah. Um, oddly, Minneapolis and Chicago have a really big population of widows. I don't know what that says about us. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Is it okay if I put your email address like in the podcast notes? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, absolutely. I'll put it in there, and then absolutely. you can look at that and um, reach out. This is a random question. You probably don't have an answer to it all necessarily, Crystal. How many doctor's appointments do you think you went to? Have you ever thought oh about the number you think you went to? Over oh, that is a good question. Um, hundreds, if yeah. not thousands, between doctor's visits and hospital visits um, over, you know, that I would say probably eight years, probably, probably close to a thousand, if not more. Yeah. And I know that it's probably a weird thing. Like, I mean, I, we talked about this before we even started the podcast. It, the relief feels like a weird word because this is your husband, but I mm -hmm. can't imagine anyone that wouldn't understand that if you've spent the majority of like a relationship in a hospital going through this, I mean, I just can't imagine. I mean, yeah. I mean, just think of, you know, how much time you spend waiting in those hospitals, you know, with your kid or with a, your mom or dad or your significant other, you know, how much time I spent waiting. Oh God, just life just mm -hmm. passes you by spending that time waiting in, in hospitals. And as you know, the iPhone became more popular and smartphones became more popular, you can sit there on your phone for a while to um, help with that, with the boredom. But after a while, you know, what do you do? It's just so boring. Is there and anything you want to leave the podcast with if anyone's listening anything I, I don't know if it's something you learn necessarily or something that's helped you that's a really good question I actually spent some time uh, last night thinking about that um, I know this sounds trite and cliche um, but reach out for support I would say uh, is the most important thing i I don't know where I would be had I not, and don't get me wrong, I love my friends, but had I not found that widow's community, 
I don't know that I would be where I am. Um, you know, therapy, I think, is is really helpful to, um, to help you through that acute grief. Um, so I think support and having that support system, whatever that looks like, is the most important thing. Um, and then I'll also say, you know, help whatever you can do to find some sort of res resiliency within you. Um, I think we talk a lot about that in the widows community and how some people are just more resilient than others. Um, and it, it, it takes a lot to be resilient, I think. There's a lot of self-awareness that needs to come with that. Um, and I think therapists can help you walk through that. Um, but, you know, whatever you can do to sort of find the power and the source, you know, whether it's faith-based or, or just, you know, the willingness to um, move, get yourself past this and to help yourself, uh, whatever way that looks like, um, I think that's really important for people who are dealing with any type of grief. Well, I really appreciate you sharing your story today, Crystal. Um, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And thank you so much for listening to the Heartbroken Podcast.